0: Hello and welcome to Bitcoin with Jake. I'm talking with Holdenort. Holdenort, welcome, how are you? Uh, Thank you, Jake, Uh, I'm uh, good, thank you. I'm hoping I pronounced that correctly. Uh, you told me just before the call started like an astronaut so um hopefully close enough so so this show is all about people's personal journeys to bitcoin and uh, i'd really love to to find out about yourself and what you're involved in in the present day and then we'll um take a look back and see how you you got to uh where we are now so could you give me a, a brief rundown as to the projects you're involved in at the moment
1: at the moment uh like my uh my my main uh, Bitcoin-related project is uh it's a magazine called Citadel 21, which I uh work on and release uh, with my fiance Bitcoin Katya. Um so we had that magazine running for a, for a couple of years now. It started off as just an online publication where we invited uh, what we refer to as you know, savage Bitcoiners, the real plebs. The, <laughs> the the non influencers the the beating heart of Bitcoin basically to to share their signal in this magazine in a very unedited and uh, raw fashion uh, and uh, after a while we there was a lot of demand for uh, a physical version of this scene so we started publishing it uh, physically so uh, and we sell it uh, exclusively for Bitcoin uh, so if you're listening to this and uh, want to check it out it, you can find find the magazine at citadel21.com apart from apart from that uh, like unfortunately a lot of my time is spent these days uh, dealing with the with the lawsuits uh, from uh, from a certain individual in the space
0: that doesn't sound too much fun um, that, do you want to expand on that at all uh, holdenord or
1: yeah, I can expand on that to a certain degree. I would think yeah. uh, a lot of your listeners are aware of this. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, an individual called the Craig Wright, uh, mm-hmm. Australian living in the UK at the moment, uh, uh, claiming he is uh, the inventor of Bitcoin. That uh, he is Satoshi Nakamoto. Back in 2019, uh, I was. Uh, very vocal about these claims on Twitter and uh, he and his uh, entourage decided to make an example out of me to I guess to chill free speech on this subject and the uh, UK is uh, pretty famous for its liberal laws unfortunately it's actually become a political topic uh, lately because of Russians uh, suing uh, journalists and the uh, other people, like people with a lot of money, basically trying to silence uh, uh, critical voices through the UK legal system with uh, their liberal laws. Because what, if you have deep pockets, you can you can go after anyone for the most frivolous reason and uh, threaten them with uh, bankruptcy and the, through the court systems. But pe- it's so expensive to defend yourself in the UK, so most people will just fold and. Uh, give in to whatever demands uh, the litigator has. Wow, I'm
0: sure there's a lot more detail to that story. Um, Let's let's park it for now. Um, Thank you for for explaining that. Is there anything else you're involved in on a kind of day-to-day process at the moment that you want to mention?
1: I would say just you know shit posting on Twitter is uh, <laughs> has been my <laughs> has been my main uh, occupation uh, in the Bitcoin space for the last uh, last four years. Uh, I was uh, working full time directly in the Bitcoin space up until like half a year ago. I was uh, head of technology in uh, in a company called CT, which. Uh, was started by Acre, which is a huge company here in Norway that decided to to get into Bitcoin. Uh, I'm not there at the moment, uh, so I guess uh, at the moment I'm trying to you know uh, tie up loose ends in my life, uh, like the lawsuit before I take on any other big responsibilities at the moment. Wow,
0: wow, okay, yeah, I'm sure we can get into all of that. Um, it doesn't um, well the way that you've outlined it so far, it sounds like it's been um been tough and I have personally no experience of what it feels like to to be under pressure in, in some kind of lawsuit situation. Um, as I mentioned, if if we may, uh, we'll we'll leave that to the side for now. and and rewind and find out a bit more about, I mean, you've already mentioned Norway. Um, Could you share with us uh, as much or as little uh, as you like about um, what early life was like for yourself? And I guess where I'm trying to get to is um, what type of character you you were growing up. And um, I find often there's a lot of similarities between the type of characters Bitcoiners are, uh, but that will hopefully come through in the stories you tell. So um, yeah, what was it like growing up?
1: Yeah, yeah i think you have an interesting like yeah i think this is interesting i, I enjoyed listening to people's journeys as well so i'll try to give an outline of, of my own um i was uh i got into technology pretty early I, it was you know so sometimes you find things that really speak to you that you just completely fall in love with uh and I have a background that's like a very much of an outdoorsman. My dad would, took me into the forest a lot. I was fishing, spending days and weeks uh, outdoors in just in sleeping bags or tents and um, cabins. Uh, so I had that uh, uh, like side of me. I was also very much into sports, I played football uh, and uh, this version of ice hockey we have in Norway called bandy. But then, uh, at around ten years of age, I guess I managed to uh, pressure my parents into into buying me a Commodore sixty four and eight bit computer, uh, which was a big investment for for our family back then. So, and I just fell in love with it. I started programming a little bit, you know, pirate copying all the games on these cassette tapes. Uh, so, so that was the start of my computer journey which just you know uh, kind of escalated or it 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 totally became my main interest i would say so i i later got an amiga 500 uh, then an amiga 1200 then a pc like a 386 uh, pc uh, and so on and so on i got a i got a modem very early like before internet was a thing so i started Communicating with people through these bulletin board systems to my mother's uh, great uh, despair because the phone <laughs> line was always busy with these crazy sounds. What's going <laughs> on back there?
0: Nothing. Man, <laughs> yeah. Nothing.
1: Yeah, and you know the phone bills uh, weren't always nice as well. So, uh, uh, so yeah, uh, and then when the in- when internet arrived, I was. Uh, I was very much into file sharing, uh, both you know initially through Napster and other uh, systems like that. But then BitTorrent came along, which fascinated me a lot, uh, and uh, I used the different uh, BitTorrent sites a lot for you know <coughs> games and uh, software of all of all kinds, movies, music. So I, I was pretty familiar to with the BitTorrent technology, and I think all of this served as a as a backdrop for when I actually discovered Bitcoin uh, because the peer-to-peer nature of it uh, was kind of familiar territory for me. Mm. And when you paired that with with, the crazy insight that there was only ever going to be 21 million of these coins. And at that time I also had discovered uh, uh, certain things about how money comes into existence in the fiat system and uh, uh, different uh, types of uh, corruption that's going on there so yeah i was very much like uh bitcoin was uh, like something that waited to happen for me i think or i was very uh much able to appreciate it when i found it i think
0: and what i love about that <clears throat> and i talk about this a lot but uh it's In school, you're taught like cheating is bad. So you're not allowed to look at someone else's notes. And it has merit in a sense, because you need to think for yourself and understand what you're being taught. Um, Putting aside the discussion as to whether or not the academic system teaches anything of value whatsoever. Um, And as an adult, especially as an investor, um, leveraging other people's work, who you trust and admire as investors is actually a good thing to do um, and helps you to make better investment decisions. And so when I hear someone like yourself that, you know, 10 years old is bloody early to be talking about, you know, getting stuck into computers and obviously a huge passion in your teenage years to to see Bitcoin for what it is very quickly is something that I'm then able to resonate with and go, oh, that's interesting. Because I wasn't someone that had a computer age 10, 12 and started programming, Um, but I love technology and what it can do. I just don't have the skills to dig into it and understand how it works. So I always need people like yourself to sit alongside and go, okay, if you trust it and you believe it's actually, you know, as, as innovative as it might be, great, that's a big tick. I can, you know, continue to investigate further and it it deepens my conviction. Um, so that's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. Before we dig into that a little more, you mentioned, um, you know, the, the internet came along and you're talking about clogging up the telephone line. Um, we've become so used to using digital products. That our lives are online the whole time can you rewind and just remind us what it was like back then online like what did you do every day what could you use it for um what were some of the pioneers you know describing it as its best use case might be or the the projections on its adoption in the future
1: yeah um i, I have to like go go past uh when the internet arrived here in norway and back to the this bulletin board systems because to me sure. they were very much like the and if I may, sorry, hold on
0: up. Um, roughly when was this? So you're talking like early 1990s or?
1: Yes, like uh, oh. I think I, I probably started messing with these BBSS, the bulletin board systems, late, very late 80s. Okay. Uh, and then for a couple of years after that, until I'm not completely sure when we first were able to connect to the internet in Norway, but probably it was like 92 or something like 93. Okay. I'm not. I'm not I'm not completely sure maybe a little bit later not to
0: totally dox your age per se but um, roughly how old were you at the time like in your uh, teenage years or
1: yes in my in my teenage years yes. yeah, I'm just trying to
0: get a grip for like you know everyone who is older than a teenager can relate to what it was like as a teenager you know we're very inquisitive <laughs> we're learning a lot about the world all at the same time and people just fall down mad rabbit holes when they're in that kind of state of being Um, so i can i can resonate as to what you probably felt like at the time Um, awesome yeah carry on where you were
1: yeah and just a side note on the rabbit holes i think you were mentioning like if there is uh something that's typical for bitcoiners and i think this to have this open inquisitive mind is very typical for bitcoiners and correct you know that ability to independently process and verify information and 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 topics of interest, and not just you know follow the herd on every every matter. So uh, yeah, but the experience of these uh, bulletin board systems to me, for some reason it was it was so mind blowing to me that I was able to communicate with them because up until then I had spent a lot of time in front of computers, and it was always just me communicating with the computer. There was never a human element on the other side of the keyboard. So suddenly to be on these bulletin board systems and they' worked like there were an, anywhere from one and up to like four or five phone lines into this system. So you in some of these bulletin boards you could meet other people there at that time and then you could chat with them. And just to be to be able to have a communi- uh, a conversation with someone through the keyboard to me was for some reason super magical and uh, amazing that I could you know communicate verbally, through my keyboard with a person and you could share files. Uh, <clears throat> there, was, there were these uh, discussion forums on these bulletin board systems that, um, that one bulletin board shared with other bulletin boards so that they were basically, they could synchronize across a lot of different systems so that you could, it of course wasn't real time, but then you connected to a bulletin board system and downloaded a file and then you read it offline, and you could basically hold conversations with a community of people on different topics. So I think communication with other people and uh, the ability to you know, pirate copy a new computer game, even though it took probably four hours of, of time to download this game uh, of a one megabyte size. Uh, so yeah, communication and, uh, and sharing... Uh, software was the the big things for me initially and then when the of course when the when the internet itself arrived that was uh, like bulletin board systems on steroid everything was actually happening real time there was no like everything everyone was connected at the same time so then uh, it went really fast uh, of course uh, but for me I think the ability to communicate with other people was always the the hugest thing with the the internet to share information
0: and it's so cool to try and for myself so i was born in the late 80s so i was a very small child at this stage and the idea that like chatting through a keyboard was magic is (laughs) completely and utterly foreign to me because it's just something that you know I was yeah. 10 years old in the late 90s and the internet, you know, dot-com bubble uh, happened. And, you know, we, we kind of grew up on computers in comparison, in a sense. Um, mm-hmm. And it's cool to think, like, there was that there, there always has been, you know, these moments where you end up building on top and building on top and building on top. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it in some senses, Bitcoin looks like this kind of crazy innovation that's come out of nowhere. But actually, when you start researching it, it's, you know, 40, 50 years worth of work mm-hmm. that finally... Someone just got the right piece of ingredient at the right time and it's taken off. And that's also a very comforting story to, to dig into when you do, as it's a really obvious kind of, oh, well, surely it doesn't work. It can't be like the first one that only ever works. Um, and it's that kind of process of like, well, actually, at some point, even chatting on a keyboard was a big deal. And, yeah. and do you know what I mean? It's this whole like building, you know, gradually and compounding the, the value of something on top of itself. Um, Yeah, and 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 i agree like communication like what an incredible tool um like in some ways podcasts you know how how would humans for many many generations have retained knowledge well through speech and Mm -hmm. you know you sit around a campfire and talk about you know history or whatever the case might be and in some senses like podcasting now is like that you know you can you can burrow down into the most niche of campfire on any subject you want um Gosh, how cool! I'll stop ranting. It's it's already this is a fascinating conversation already. Um, okay, cool. So you're a teenager. You're, you're experiencing all of these um, interesting trends and technological innovations. Where did that take you?
1: It um, it was very easy for me to conclude at the time that uh, obviously uh, because everyone around me like the. Uh, the, the old system around me, my, my parents, my friends, the, my teachers, everyone was, it was all about education, right? Like you needed to get an education because you needed to work, uh, you have to find work. And I was, uh, I was uh, uh, for the longest time, you know, uh, my dad especially was always telling me you need to stop wasting your time with these fucking computers. Like it's it's not gonna it, it's a it, it's it's a it's a fad. It's a toy. It's it's like not part of the real world. You need to like you know the your, your, the idea that this was gonna somehow uh, turn into a, a skill that you could monetize or live up from was just completely alien to anyone back then. You know it was just my parents' view of computers was just a waste of time that I played games on pretty much. Yep. Uh, uh, so it was funny to see, like, fast forward 20 years and, like, have both of my parents calling me all the time to help me uh, fix their computer issues in different ways. You know? <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I decided pretty early on that, of, of course, computers, technology, that's, that's what I need to, you know, mm-hmm. study and, and, and work with because this is really interesting.
0: And to that's be fair to your I, father, I, I imagine that given you mentioned you were, you know, passionate about spending time outdoors and camping and whatever else, like if that was his, you know, pastime as well, it was even more foreign to think that, um, you know, a computer might actually generate of yeah, yeah. like long term employment value. Uh, and that's 100%. totally reasonable, right? Um, yeah. Okay, cool. So you're, you're like, cool, I'm going to technology as a career. So did you go and get any formal education, perhaps as a university somewhere or? um what was the what was the 90s like in terms of trying to find a job uh in the tech space
1: yeah I actually um I actually spent uh my 90s uh I didn't get into my higher education in the 90s I was a little like just just about too young for that I I was in the army spent there in the army okay uh I uh I got I got work for uh, for an airline, the whole thing. Spent a couple of years there, and I traveled a little bit. But then I got started on my higher education just as we entered the two thousands, and uh, I got a computer degree uh, at the university in Norway. Um, and I very quickly found work as a system developer in a very uh, what was back then a very uh, good uh, company here in Norway. Um, So I worked as a system developer for a couple of years, uh, uh, coding, uh, basically. Uh, But I very quickly lost, it it very quickly ended up removing all the magic of technology for me, that job, because I was working on, uh, we were developing automatic invoice processing software. It was just absolutely uh, boring and uh, like removed from, Anything I was interested in, basically, you know, I wasn't interested in just coding for coding sake, that was never me, I wanted, I wanted like to do something that was driving me a little bit. So, so that removed the, the, the magic of, uh, sorry, hold on, about not. About just it. to jump
0: in. Yeah. When you say you want to do something that was driving you more, can you just focus on what that really means to you?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I don't think I was aware of it back then, you know, I don't think I was conscious about what would really drive me. I w- I just realized that this was not driving me. But uh, from what I have learned now, I mean, it's all about something that resonates with me, something that brings forth enthusiasm in me. And that can be, you know, creating positive change, uh, making uh products that somehow uh, like brings something uh, forward that I find interesting to share I think it's related to information sharing basically that I uh, there is so much cool shit in the world and I want to make other people aware of the cool shit something like that is probably key and uh, what I was doing in that uh, first developer job I had was did not contain anything of that. It was very like um, gray, boring work that 100% catered to the old Fiat world. You know, there was no like uh, there, there was nothing that stimulated me in that job. So I, I ended up uh, quitting after a couple of years in that, or three years, I think.
0: And um, you know, wh- where did that take you next? I caveat that question with you know, sometimes working out what you don't want to do is just as important as working out what you do want to do. And that yeah. perhaps sounds like an experience similar to those, uh, that, yeah. that kind of, um, uh, what's the right way of saying it, that, that kind of uh, context.
1: Yeah, I think we humans have a lot of different uh, ways of being awake or asleep, and uh, a lot of different ways of being wise or not wise or intelligent or not intelligent or experienced or not experienced and in certain ways I was uh, looking back I feel like I was very much you know just a kid back then who hadn't learned a lot about myself or the world or what I wanted to do or anything so uh, what I I, kind of just what I knew for sure was that this job is not taking me in the direction I want to go so and I've always been I would say some will call it reckless other people will call it following through quickly when you realize something some will say it's brave and some will say it's stupid but I I pretty much just went into my boss's office and said I quit uh, one day uh, which was my mom and my friends were like what the fuck are you doing because this was <laughs> a, like a very high paying job with great career opportunities. And I was doing great and everything was great. You know, I had an apartment, I had a car, I was just, you know, set up for the perfect Fiat trajectory. Uh, So no one, everyone was just confused and they probably thought I was going crazy or something. Um, uh, And this was at a time where I was also basically learning a lot about myself, facing a lot of like, you know, not gonna go, into that a lot but you know a lot of people have certain or some issues with their parents I had a very difficult relationship with my dad so a lot of that shit was coming to the surface and uh, it was a time where I needed I felt I needed to uh, you know really start to find out who who the fuck I am and uh, do what I was meant to do so I just quit and uh, I actually ended up taking work in a kindergarten of all things wow uh and i worked there for two years full-time just working with kids because i really enjoyed it from the beginning and that i learned a lot from working with kids probably about myself and there was something about their intuitive and just you know unfiltered commentary and participation in reality which was so opposite from what i experienced in that uh, computer job i had uh, because that was very much corporate and you know everyone was sitting at the lunch table just it felt like i was sitting around with non, non-player characters and then this uh kindergarten suddenly everything was so real and alive and uh yeah so so i after a couple of years i found out that shit i think i want to work with kids so i started uh started on a on a education uh to become a teacher. So I spent the next uh, four or five years uh, in university again. And uh, that led me to what I will call probably my my real job, uh, which was to be a teacher. I worked as a primary school teacher for 10 years.
0: Wow. I love, um, I actually just had an interview with a friend, uh, John. On the weekend, who's a high school teacher here in, uh, in Melbourne, and it's really fun talking to people who are professionally trained teachers about how to communicate Bitcoin to people. And in John's case, he set up something here in Melbourne called Bitcoin Club, and he has uh, basically an extracurricular class where he's created a, um, a, uh, like a program and all the kids come along and they talk about Bitcoin and they sell you know stuff in sats. And it's, it's awesome to hear. Uh, I'm sure we can dive into that a bit yourself, perhaps, but um, okay, so he became a primary teacher, uh, a primary school teacher. Uh, What a journey this already is. Thank you so much for sharing it. Um, We don't have to go in this direction, but uh, people's relationships with their parents are very formative in all sorts of good and bad ways. Um, Would you be willing to share perhaps your biggest lesson from the difficulties you might have had with your dad?
1: Hmm. Yeah, I agree that this is it's a super interesting topic, and I think it's so formative in so many people's lives. And I think the dad son relationship is also very you know classic, and it uh, it has a lot. to it affects a lot how a man uh, enters life and how he proceeds and how he ends up. I think so. Uh, I mean. For me, my dad was, you know, he was very. I would say he was very. His mind was very much made up on what mattered in life and what didn't matter, and it was like all about a lot of very, I would say, old school mentality around how a man should should be, and it, you know, you should should be rugged. You should never, like, you know, uh, complain or uh, or be affected by, you know, temperature or cutting your finger or whatever you should be you should be a tough you should be tough and I don't think I've I mean my dad died two years ago unfortunately um I'm sorry to hear that but I'm I'm appreciating more and more also like how he made me he he instilled a lot of good values in me as well which uh, uh, which probably, I resisted a lot back then, but what what he was lacking, unfortunately, that affected the relationship, was the ability to you know uh, give any kind of uh, validation or praise. It was always you know uh, about critiquing and finding uh, errors and what was not good enough. And I think that's uh, pretty common, or at least a lot of my my friends have similar. Uh, Experiences with their dads, so but I, he, he instilled in me an appreciation for nature and the appreciation for hard work and appreciation for being, a, you know, a man of your word, uh, being uh, honest, uh, you know, being on time basically, a lot of old school values that I think have are getting a little bit lost these days, mm-hmm. uh, so. He is responsible for a lot of uh, resilience in me, I think, and of course, the fact that our relationship was difficult uh, also like shaped me a lot in terms of uh, standing up for myself. And you know, I was I was always very stubborn and like had my own opinion on things. So yeah, he 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 has a lot a big influence in in how I turned out, I think, and mostly positive looking.
0: Thank you for sharing that. Um, my my father, in my case, actually died when I was only 20, so 13 years ago now. And uh, sorry, um, yeah, I mean it's it's what happened. You don't you don't choose your yeah. life, you know. Things just yeah. happen. Um, and it was incredibly challenging to to get past at the time. And there were, I mean, some of that really resonates with me. Like just often, just you know, too critical perhaps, or um, constantly looking for praise that was just never there. And mm-hmm. funny enough, from the grave. Uh, are, there are still less, and I'm smiling now, there are still things I think about on a daily basis that he taught me that I didn't realize at the time were yeah. lessons that I hold valuable now. And yeah. as you were just talking about the appreciations that you have for hard work and honesty and being on time, I've just jotted this down. You think, okay, well, it sounds kind of like proof of work. It sounds kind of like uh, you know, indestructible blockchain. And the fact that you know, Bitcoin is, is, in a sense, a, a modern form of clock. And you go whoa yeah. okay well maybe that you know lines up nicely for where this conversation is going to head um well shout out to our two dads we owe them a lot um yeah. the, the 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 phase of your life as a primary school teacher is that when bitcoin came along or was there another phase after that that we need to just uh, approach first uh
1: bitcoin uh bitcoin uh, came along uh in my life uh while I was working as a teacher, yes. Okay. Uh, uh, you so, could so say, if, we, if,
0: if I may, if we could just, um, you know, you could, if you could give a bit of an explanation to what life was like as a primary teacher, uh, primary school teacher, and uh, some of the things that you saw going on in the world, and, and um, whether they were things you were angry about or things that didn't work, and you know, you can chime back to the characteristics you mentioned as as a kid, and you know, you think about something's not quite right here. And then often when people come across Bitcoin, you've already mentioned it, you knew almost immediately from what it sounds like that it was something valuable you needed to research more. Um, so what I'm trying to get at is the the, the difference in mindset, you know, the day before you, you came across this thing and then how it might have affected you um, afterwards.
1: Yeah. Um, yes. I would say my experience, uh, like when I started out as a teacher, that was... Probably at the like very early in the accelerating uh, wokeness and accelerating authoritarianism of our current world, like it Mm -hmm. was before it it was before it had kind of taken hold at all in this country at least. So my initial years as a teacher, I had a lot of autonomy and I felt a lot of trust from the organization I was in. I was able to you know execute. Plan and execute my my classes and my my weeks uh, very much independently. Uh, everything was working great. The parents were happy. The kids were happy. The leadership was happy. But then, at the, an alarming pace, I would say, uh, all of this uh, uh, bureaucratic bloating and reporting needs, and you know, more and more top-down control on. Uh, what type of methods should be used and you know the message that should be put in front of the kids Um, and also like they started measuring things you know and then they put numbers on what they measured and then they they translated that into feedback to the teachers even in terms of pay you know if you like if your kid if your pupils tested well that would translate into uh, financial benefits uh, in some way and then you, it's pretty apparent to me what that does to, to most people in the classroom. They will start optimizing for just getting these numbers maximized and they will uh, not focus on all the other shit. And me, I was always driven by, you know, I wanted the kids to feel safe, to, to, to feel like valued and to, and to pay them respect and demand respect back. And I wanted to make critical thinkers. I wanted them to question things. I didn't want to just give them shitloads of truths from the from the top and say that this is how it is. Just memorize it, and you'll be good. I want them to think about things. And that was that became more and more at odds with how the organization was run. And. Uh, I think that's very much like representation of centralized structures and uh, the, the fiat system uh, so it just you know at the same time i had discovered bitcoin and back then bitcoin was very different from now in terms of i mean now i can sit and talk to you a person i never uh you know wasn't aware of you but <laughs> yeah but but, but, but you to are, danny
0: for introducing us thank you
1: yeah but you are one of you know thousands of people that share something through mm-hmm. Bitcoin, mm-hmm. and it's just incredibly like cool to talk to you and other Bitcoiners always because we have we have shared the, <laughs> we share Bitcoin and by sharing Bitcoin we share so many different you know appreciations or insights and rabbit holes and uh, and there's also some some form of uh, uh, it, it's humbling, so it, I feel that most Bitcoiners are at the core humble people, uh, and that's, uh, that's imp- an important uh, facet of it all to me. So, um, yeah, I was ranting a bit there, but uh, uh, well, what, what, I, what
0: I, a question that sprung to mind, um, Hodder not was, uh, can you identify roughly when this? this this seeming step change in authoritarian and centralized governance happened. And um, you were based in Norway, I guess, still as a teacher. And um, was this an influence of the European Union somehow or just the Norwegian government itself? Because I've not entirely understood the relationship between you and the EU. So just why do you think that started happening? And when roughly was it?
1: Yeah. I mean, Norway is not part of the EU on paper. Yeah, but we are part of the EEC. Uh, I think that's the European Economic uh, Something.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, it's uh, it's pretty much EU. You know, we we implement almost all EU regulations and uh, 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 yeah, everything from like the curvature of the bananas and uh, when you have to build a new standard road in the forest and all of everything is just you know EU. EU stuff. But what drove the educational changes that I saw was this, it's a thing called new public management, which is that they implement uh, basically corporate uh, philosophy into, into the public sector. And for a, it works great in a lot of areas, but the problem is uh, in a primary school, we're talking about kids' And you can't use a system that was made for, you know, optimizing uh, warehouse uh, business uh, and then make these kids into units in the system that you can just assign numbers to, to optimize uh, the functionality. So what happened was they started measuring things and there was this European standards. I think it was called PISA, which is uh, they have this, they measure certain Subjects and topics across Europe, and they they rate the nations according to this. And I think Norwegian educational system was traditionally very strong in the sense that uh, uh, it wasn't authoritative, uh, uh, no critical thinking, and student participation was very much encouraged. And uh, it was a very flat organizational structure in the classrooms. The pupils were like. Early on, uh, uh, asked to you know think for themselves and participate, basically. Yeah. But with this new this new system, it became super important for the politicians in Norway to not lag behind. And there was like, oh, we're we behind, we're behind this country in math. Something needs to be done, you know. And the media played on it, and then they they put in place these, these new systems, where, which you know measured very specific. Things. And uh, I think it's enormously fascinating to see what happens to human consciousness when you ask it to focus on a certain thing and you incentivize focusing on that certain thing. I mean, what about all the uncountable other things that you then focus less on or that you then basically tell yourself is not important? And for example, uh, uh social competence you know uh, empathy uh, uh communication um uh, uh standing up for yourself uh, all of these dimensions of uh being a functional social being for example it's just being completely ignored in such a system also stuff like critical thinking uh the increasing need to you know uh when you consume information on the internet how do you like how do you navigate basically Uh, so they were instead just uh, valuing if you answer a b or c on this specific question on a specific topic and I, i was very worried about that because i saw how it turned the teachers more and more into just machines that replicated what was put down from above and just put that into the pupil's head and the more precisely it was put into the heads of the pupils the more you were rewarded. So basically any deviance from what was decided in these in uh, documents from above, that was that was how you performed optimally was to like as perfectly as possibly uh, putting that information <laughs> into the head of every single pupil. And, to me, that's, that's. The, I mean, it. the way I put it now, it sounds like propaganda, right? That you just want to like brainwash people. And I would say that if you're a bad type of teacher and this type of teacher were like, that's basically what the system wanted because they were the ones who got the best results, you know, uh, on how things were measured. And if all teachers were like that, that's a pretty dystopian uh, society. I think if the school's only mandate is to perfectly put the the ruling uh, political uh, parties, uh, doctrines into the heads of pupils, that, that's not good. And that, that's the tendency that I started seeing. Of course, it's not like uh, all pupils in Norway are getting brainwashed at all. But I would say that the single most important factor in a child's education is the the person they are lucky or unlucky enough to have as a teacher. And I was a teacher for 10 years. And I think I put a lot of absolutely revolutionary (laughs) madness into the minds of some of these people in what I see as a good way. Uh, But of course, uh, some other people would like just shake their heads and what is this guy even doing he needs mm. to get with the program
0: well and i can imagine that um, as the system becomes more as you describe i this 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 kind of centralized um planning approach in which certain things are being highlighted and therefore optimized for your your incentive structure is altering over time and if you are an outlier and not willing to, to move in that direction, then it was probably quite challenging actually, I imagine, like in the school staff room or wherever you might've been. And people are like, what's wrong with this guy? He just, he's just not with it. This, this doesn't make any sense. And it's probably even parents that push back against certain, um, you know, techniques you may have been using at the time. Um, did, did that happen at all or am I just kind of
1: making things up? I think, I think, your, I think your thoughts are valid. Uh, what happened in, in my specific case, I mean, I had, uh, the parents were, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, and the parents listening to this, but <laughs> they seemed, they were very happy. I mean, okay. there was, it, it was, we were, I had this this one class for seven years straight, and we felt like a family almost. Everyone knew each other well. It was,
0: wow. it, awesome it was really,
1: really good. And uh, I will probably continue looking back at my work as a teacher as like what some of the best stuff that i did in this world uh, and some of the most meaningful and important stuff i did in this world because it uh it felt extremely real and and meaningful and i put my heart and my soul into it
0: wow awesome and this is i mean perhaps this is a rabbit hole for another day but i love the idea that Uh, With the invent of the internet, information has become, you know, infinitely cheaper than it ever was before. And the very concept of education has, or is rapidly evolving, Um, you know, Bitcoin, there is no, there's no MBA, there's no degree, you have to go out there and you have to find all the information and learn it yourself. And the idea that, you know, more student led philosophies are going to blossom, we're going to be more decentralized, you won't have to go to these Ivy League schools in the States or wherever else you might aim to get into um the the what we know as education is 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 rapidly evolving and hopefully for the better I mean the idea of like making a kid extremely specialized from a very young age in order to but you know jump through a bunch of loopholes that some central planner has set seems absolute madness versus you know let them basically play all day long with their friends except for two hours in which they jump online and focus on a subject they absolutely love like yourself, you know, all the way back as a 10 year old, imagine if you'd been able to do, you know, engineering full-time from then, which was your passion. Mm-hmm. Like who knows what may have come from that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole though. Excuse my rant. Um, Bitcoin comes along at some point during this process. Uh, you've, you've explained brilliantly how your, your view of the world was slightly changing and what was happening around you specifically was changing. Um, who first introduced Bitcoin to you and how quickly did you realize it was something that you really wanted to focus your energy and attention on as much as you do today?
1: Yeah, uh, I was. Uh, I found Bitcoin, I had no one in my life that uh, knew about Bitcoin. Uh, and it was a very random encounter on the, I was reading some, some tech magazine, I can't remember which, it was just uh, an article that had a reference to Bitcoin, and somehow that reference was made, that it like piqued my interest. So I, you know, I searched it and uh, I found uh, I found the white paper pretty much immediately, and I read the white paper. And uh, I'm not gonna claim that I understood all the implications of the white paper, but I understood some of it. I I understood the, the censorship resistance uh, part. I understood the, the peer-to-peer part because, you know, I was, as I said, familiar with uh, how uh, BitTorrent works and uh, the power of that. How it no one could like fuck with it. You know, you could just keep sharing, and as long as you were, if you were behind a VPN or something, I mean, you were completely fine. And uh, and uh, that just it really blew my mind. So, from from then on, from that first first day, I I, I considered myself a Bitcoiner. Uh, wow. you know, uh, not that I, I mean, it's been an increasing intensity, of course. Uh, and I, I mean, Bitcoin has continued to prove itself all the fucking time, because back then, some of the things that made me like uh, that didn't like completely add up or it was like the governance part of it who are these people writing the code how okay. how are they like how it, basically the consensus part of everything because bitcoin was so small back then uh, when are we talking exactly 2013 wow and okay. uh, and yeah it's 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 wild to think back how different uh, <laughs> i was scouring the i was scouring reddit i was scouring bitcoin talk i was mm-hmm. you know generally you know looking for anything related to, to bitcoin or or even blockchain you know back then uh, back then uh crypto and blockchain weren't swear words yet uh as they had <laughs> become uh but there was you know you could read everything new that happened in in twenty minutes and then the rest of your day was just fuck i wish there was something more bitcoin related to consume wow.
0: versus today when there's just a um yeah well, if you look there is a huge amount of information out there that you can consume and you know, I, i've got a endless. to do or to do read or to watch or to listen list that's you know i just i never get through it it's simple as that there's always something else to learn um, i think I, I think
1: back then you could you, you could you could just you could have you could be on top of everything that happened and then i mean like you know a new new companies happening uh, uh the development cycle uh pretty much everything you could be on top of. But today, even if you have if you're just interested in mining, you know, and you ignore everything else in Bitcoin, still there is too much happening only in mining that you can completely be on top of everything. So yeah. it's really been exponential.
0: And so you mentioned that you were worried about the governance. What I'm intrigued with here is obviously, you know, Bitcoin has changed. It's irrecognizable from 2013. Um, I really like it when you hear people talking about how Bitcoin today as an investment is better than it ever has been, even though the price is effectively higher than it's ever been, in that the risk is significantly reduced and adoption rates have got to where they are, etc, etc. You can make a very good case for that. Um, But when you say you're worried about governance, like what did that mean at the time? And what has since happened that has made you more confident that that's no longer an issue?
1: Yeah, I think my my worry, I wouldn't even call them worries. I would i would call them like some of the things like I felt like I didn't completely understand. But looking back, it was a worry because there was no clear, no one could have told me like very clearly how this was gonna work back then. I think it was, it feels like this was an experiment involving very, esoteric elements of consensus trust and stuff like that uh in like 2017 was amazing uh, with the attacks, the, the blockchain wars as it has been called by some uh and uh i think i find the same phenomenon you know in the bitcoin community as a whole like how my own map of Uh, bitcoin in terms of the participants how that is shaped and adjusted with every interaction through a very uh, very rich fabric of trust existing in the community and as you said very early on in this conversation something like it's fascinating like how if someone gives you a piece of information you will value that piece of information based on how much you trust the person who gave it to you Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, back then my perceived worry was some basically pretty much you know what if uh, some state uh, uh, agency contacts this one of these developers or or all of the developers and tell them to you need to do do this and that or you will put you in a dungeon Uh, it was just it seemed centralized to me you know Uh, and What's changed since then is, is of course, a lot about there has been certain or many different social attacks. A lot of vectors have been attempted in terms of co-opting Bitcoin. We had highly trusted members of the Bitcoin community, uh, like Gavin Andresen, for example, you know, he was, uh, he basically got the torch from Satoshi in terms of, uh, yeah. overlooking the experiment, and he turned absolutely bad apple uh, in my eyes, uh, and in most Bitcoiners' eyes, even going as far as uh, as uh, saying that, you know, Craig Wright is Satoshi and uh, backing the whole big block agenda. And you had Roger Ware, super yeah. influential, like the biggest person in Bitcoin back in the beginning, also put everything he had, all his energy and resources into uh, destroying Bitcoin, in my opinion, because he wanted to make the blocks really big and centralizing the whole thing. So uh, Bitcoin has somehow fought back against all of these attacks. And part of what has changed, I think, is that, you know, I think it's hard to, uh, concisely explain how consensus works in Bitcoin to a layperson and maybe to anyone. So it's almost like the the magic uh, uh, construction of Bitcoin has time and again proven to just work. You know, it's it's somehow something about the incentive structures uh, and the tran- extreme transformative potential of Bitcoin that makes people defend it like it was their own child almost and and uh, somehow this fabric and of trust works in this community in a way to that the good the good voices and the true voices are somehow uh, uh somehow win over the, the the false narratives uh which this is this is a very fascinating subject to me and I this this trust, how trust works in Bitcoin uh, between participants is, uh, in my eyes, key to, to how to even what Bitcoin is, you know, because in many ways, Bitcoin is also the sum of all of these, uh, these social fabrics that exist. Wow,
0: and so many questions spring to mind. It's, um, it's fascinating hearing you explain these thoughts and and these like let's say milestones that you've experienced during this process. Um, for for those of us that weren't as closely um, kind of tapped into the Bitcoin space back in 2013 and 2014, 15, 16, even to 2017 with the blockchain war, um, what do you think it was that? if you had to choose a couple of things or just one thing that to me, it's like the the small guy won in a great way. And people seem to like, even in secret support that. And that's why the block size was never increased. And that's why these kind of centralized, um, instincts of major players in the space got defeated. Is, is it just this incentive structure that's in play that in a weird way, it's like a, it's like a living being, isn't it? There's, there's a, a kind of, um, there's a new force in the world that exists that never did before that gets all of these people to converge on one place and then as you mentioned defend it with their life like what the hell is that have we ever seen anything like this before um and in the studies that you've done over the years like what do you think it is that that makes it that it's a very vague question sorry but i'm Mm -hmm. i'm intrigued to dig a little further into your thought process
1: yeah i mean There is a word that uh, that pops up a lot in my mind when i think about bitcoin just both from my own uh, perspective and from what i observe and that word is conviction Uh, and i think you know if you have a mind that is tuned into you just want the truth you want truth you want uh, because you know that you need truth to build something lasting uh, to build on lives is uh, just you know a very high time preference uh, uh, in my eyes completely meaningless uh, exercise so the longer you spend in bitcoin the more you see that uh, you know uh, it works uh, you can run your own node you can verify everything yourself you you see one example first maybe or some it could be like something inspired or brave or, or from another bitcoiner that you know adds one stone at a time to this i call it a muscle you know a conviction muscle uh, that just grows stronger all the time from the sum of what you observe and experience in bitcoin and the longer you spend in Bitcoin, the, the stronger this conviction muscle is. And every time a new Bitcoiner is added uh, and thrown down the rabbit hole, you have a new conviction muscle starting to grow. Mm. And the, t- like the sum of all this conviction that is in Bitcoin now, and that it, it, it grows all the fucking time and it doesn't diminish because once you see the light in Bitcoin, once you get orange-pilled, you don't get unorange orange pilled you know? you can some people unfortunately fall for greed so they lie to themselves and the people around them for personal gain which is very sad for them and i think it's something they will come to regret for the rest of their lives uh when they realize what they actually did done that they basically fell for the dark side i would say but the conviction and the like they can lie for himself, to themselves, but the conviction is it, it, it's still there. And yeah, that, I think that that's it for me. That there is so, and that's like the the biological side of Bitcoin or the the human side of Bitcoin, which can't be underestimated. I think that just this enormous uh, consciousness field that's become global and just keeps increasing in strength. That's uh, ultra fascinating to me
0: isn't it and it's that phrase consciousness in connection with um the the kind of the conviction muscle so it's it's like this shared consciousness is itself a muscle and is growing and growing and growing and just a small aside i've i've never done weight training on a regular basis but started in the last year and it's absolutely extraordinary how quickly your body um reacts gets stronger Mm. and improves and Mm. it's it's super similar to what you're describing that phrase of muscle right you break it down and it gets stronger you break it down and it gets stronger and that's what we're seeing here like this whole thing about tulip mania right tulips don't come back 10x more valuable than the previous time like come on didn't happen um and and it's another example as to how this is you know something that really people should take notice of I think what always strikes me as interesting is the certain type of character that sits down and has a look and goes, this is interesting. Or maybe they get touched, you know, four, three, two times. I don't know exactly. Everyone's a bit different, but they have a kind of a unique, um, let's say, skill set or, or multidisciplinary understanding that they, they pull together and setting up. ah, this is interesting, you know, and in they go. Um, oh, how cool. Well, thank you so much for explaining all that. I'm loving it. So I'd love to touch on uh, a couple of things that we've, you know, briefly mentioned at the start of the, the, the conversation. So, um, I guess you never imagined you'd be running a media business. Uh, talk to us a little about Citadel Twenty One and and how that came about. Um, you know, ultimately, you've you've gone down the entrepreneurship route in that sense. So, yeah, I'd love to learn some more.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, we. I, I guess me and Cartel don't look at it as a business even it's, some, it's more like uh, for us it's like uh, a, a project uh, a tribute to bitcoin i would say an attribute okay. to bitcoiners uh, but of course it is a business uh, but it's not something that uh, we have optimized for, uh, for, in, for profit at all there is okay. basically no profit in it uh, for us uh, at the moment at least
0: um, and, and if I may, on that point, similarly to education in some senses, uh, media businesses are paid, generally speaking, by advertisers. And mm-hmm. advertisers are therefore their customers. So, out of every single one of the stakeholders that they hold most important, it's not the reader or the user of said, you know, information that they're they're sharing with their networks, it's actually, is the customer happy or not? Yes or no? And that bias inevitably leads to a sense of corruption in terms of the message that said media company can produce because they are um, hamstrung by who pays them, basically. So this idea that a media business can exist that isn't under that same incentive structure, that's really interesting. Is that part of your thoughts, perhaps?
1: Yes. Awesome.
0: Talk to me a bit more about that.
1: It absolutely. Is. I mean, we don't have any advertisers at all. Our only income is the Satoshi's paid by our customers to receive the, the magazine. And as a result, I mean, it was never on the table for us to make any compromise at all, like zero. And uh, even to the point that we have a circular Bitcoin economy, we pay all our... Like the, the printing, the shipping, the design work, all of that is paid in Bitcoin from our side. And the only way to purchase our magazines are is by paying us in Bitcoin. And we had a lot of people asking, like, why, why don't you accept the fiat? You would sell more magazines. And that's true. We would sell more magazines, but we also would not... Stay hundred uh, percent focused on what we wanted to do with this magazine, was what was not to cater to to the, the av- like the mainstream at all. We wanted to cater to a hardcore Bitcoin community, uh, and that's what we've done. And uh, I think the product is really hardcore. It's uh, savage as fuck. Uh, <laughs> it's like we don't we don't have a like, you know an editorial. Uh, uh, group of people going through all the articles like is this acceptable is this I mean I am uh, I am the 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 editor of this uh, publication and if I think it's cool it will get published and I I think it's cool if it if the article is you know feels authentic and brings some inspiration to the table in in some way so uh, it's it's been really rewarding to work on this and it's a great way to to meet a lot of really interesting Bitcoiners. Uh, and it's really cool to see people who never had their, their, their thoughts uh, presented to a wider audience to, to put them in in the magazine and have other people read their thoughts. Uh, with the only merit here being what their words contained, you know, not how big of an influencer they are or because most of our articles are written by plebs with, you know, 120 followers on Twitter and uh, that awesome. no one heard about before. Yeah, awesome.
0: And, and every single one of those, as I keep kind of chiming on about, has a unique lens on what Bitcoin yes. is to them. Yes. And that's what yes. I find so fascinating. And that's one of the the inspirations for doing this podcast. Um, yeah. It's like
1: people... We, we had people... Approach Bitcoin from, from so many perspectives, like you say. You know, some some come at it from being interested in permaculture, and then they apply all the principles of permaculture and find you know synchronicities with Bitcoin. You have people into Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, uh, uh, people working as doctors, people from the financial side, financial world, and it's really cool to see the sum of all these uh, perspectives when people have been orange pill.
0: Well, I must um I must spend some more time on uh, on the website and have a dig through it. I have certainly consumed a couple of Croesus's essays that I think are often excellent. Um, yeah, particularly he's a, he's great, particularly the uh, the article that he wrote about um,
1: uh, the yuppie
0: elite, the yuppie elite. Yeah, yes, yeah. describes like half my friends. It's simple. Yes, as that. <laughs> maybe more yeah, of, them, 75% of them actually. Seventy five percent of them. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really on point that so shout out to them for for writing um so you, you touched on a, a lawsuit um i don't want to spend too much time on this as it felt like a, a negative subject but um having brought it up i'd love to just learn a little more about that so so what's happened
1: uh, yeah i would definitely say it's a negative subject there is like uh, no upside to it for me personally apart from you know Staying true to my own integrity, because very short story of it is that Craig Wright uh, had his had uh, his lawyers uh, go after me in 2019. I was pseudonymous; no one knew who I was. But he threatened, I like if I didn't do what he wanted, they would put he would set into effect measures to, you know, de-anonymize me. And his uh, he demanded that I go into a court of law and like testify that uh, i was wrong to say that uh, that he is not satoshi and i apologize to him and i now i now have changed my mind and that he, he is satoshi and so on you know and that was just not on the table for me uh, i felt like i couldn't you know betray myself and uh, and uh, i would say the bitcoin community by doing that just to get out of this pinch so then yeah then he he actually put a bounty on my identity said like they made an article and they had some pictures of my arms my tattoos and they were like look out for this guy there's five thousand dollar bounty for anyone who can find out who he is and there were private investigators involved and yeah they managed to find out my identity and uh, and uh like start legal proceedings against me for defamation in the UK.
0: Wow. Wow. And um and where is that going do you think? I mean I guess you don't know you're still being dragged through the courts.
1: It's lasted for over 3 years which is absolutely insane to me that that's even possible over, you know, a couple of harmless tweets from a small twitter account. Yeah. Uh had no impact whatsoever on his reputation. Uh, so it's aggressive uh, it's really aggressive it's uh it's really bad uh but where it's going um yeah i'm still fighting it it's uh it's uh, really stressful it's uh and it's of course uh, the stakes are super high uh if uh, like worst case scenario for me is to go personally bankrupt and lose everything i have wow so uh, it's uh it's something I have to deal with, and it's I I mean I I really don't want to make a victim out of myself. Uh, uh, like my own thoughts on this is, you know, this is what I was dealt, uh, and uh, now I just have to. I can't control the outcome, but I can control how I how I play how I play, and uh, how I look on it, and I can also control that I will not feel. You know like a victim no matter what happens i was i'm happy happy to be able to to have the integrity to to do what is right for me
0: well um from the bottom of my heart very best of luck with that process um if there's anything i've Thank learned you. during this conversation integrity is something that uh is front of mind with everything you seem to have done with your lifetime so far so uh, i'm sure that uh good will win um and equally i i it occurs to me, a story I saw recently, I actually haven't checked to see if this is 100% true, but um, Andreas Antonopoulos, very um, influential educator for a lot of people who joined the Bitcoin scene, let's say 2014, 15, 16. And recently, there was a story about the fact that, you know, he wasn't actually a very wealthy man. And in a very short space of time, Bitcoiners had sent him like a million dollars worth of Bitcoin. Yeah, And I would not be surprised if there was a similar community feedback for someone like yourself. If... You know anything was to ever happen along these lines which mm-hmm. you know really is a signal of not only all of the hard work you've done to get to today and and, and um and the story you're telling but also this this incredible community that uh, one finds themselves within on adopting this new technology um old mate cry cry yeah. is a fraud and it's very obvious and i really hope that uh, there's not many more people that end up in situations like this as well and that there's a, a positive outcome for yourself um at which point I, I'd like to just uh, to, to to move on to what's my last question for the uh, for the conversation. Um, what, what does the future have in store, do you think? Uh, h- how does Bitcoin look five or 10 years from now? What gets you most excited about uh, looking forwards?
1: Yeah, I just have to end. Uh, um, to yeah, yeah, if you I, want to go I, back, I, by all means. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I just wanted to say that. I'm, I'm because you mentioned the community and I'm already just super impressed and thankful for all the support that I've had from the community. And it's been really important for me. Awesome. Shout out to all those people. Yeah, shout out to Bitcoiners. Um, What's in store for Bitcoin? Mm, All I know, uh, you know, I like as a general rule, I will, sometimes you just know that Uh, you don't know the details like for me personally i can say the the attacks on the towers in in the u.s in 2001 you know uh, 9-11 for me that's very obviously didn't happen the way the official narrative say it happened but i don't know exactly how it happened uh all i know is that uh, something was very off there and in terms of bitcoin i feel absolutely certain deep inside that Bitcoin will win, that we will have a world running on Bitcoin. Uh, that's something I, it seems like it can't not happen because of how Bitcoin works and the incentive structures. And uh, But I think it will be a rocky road to get there. I think we're seeing the start of uh, more and more weaponized attacks on Bitcoin Probably the ESG narrative is gonna be the, the biggest one, I think. Uh, and we're already, I'm seeing, you know, European banks having carbon footprint in their bank statements next to people's transactions. Uh, uh, couple that with the CBDCs that they seem hell bent on, on introducing, so I it, think, it increasingly looks like Bitcoin is the the shining star and the greatest weapon for people wanting to fight authoritarianism and protect themselves from it. Uh, While the authoritarians will, of course, use everything in their arsenal to prevent Bitcoin from winning. So I think it will be a rocky road. Uh, It's going to be really interesting to see how this a uh, partially engineered global collapse is going to play out and how fast Bitcoin as a life boy will be adopted by nations and people. Uh, I think it's really hard for me to say more than that. Uh, I do, what I'm observing is an increasing, exponentially increasing amount of Bitcoiners entering my, like, that I, from where I'm observing and so many brilliant people and so many driven people and so many people that i know are willing to go really far to fight for bitcoin and they so strongly believe in it this conviction muscle as i mentioned Uh, so i'm very positive i i'm i'm confident that bitcoin will win but i have no idea how fast it will happen or how uh brutal
0: that fight is going to be it's funny isn't it bitcoin is all of us guilty of of we think we can see the future we're just not quite sure how it plays out and it's yeah. that kind of like it's, it's almost on your fingertips you can feel it yeah, yeah. you just don't know how yeah. you're going to get there um well hold or not thank you so much for your time today i couldn't appreciate more the 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 story you've told and um and all the information you've shared so thank you uh, last point uh, where can people get hold of you if they want to
1: um they can find me on twitter uh at hodlonot uh feel free to reach out if you have any questions i mean my dms are open um and uh i guess the the other contact point is my citadel 21 uh uh the, company. So uh, check out sitwell21.com. It's possible to reach out uh, on the website if you want to contribute or yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining today. Um, I've absolutely loved learning about your journey. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Jake. Pleasure.